0: Thank you, Annalise. Well, good morning, Kirk. Good morning, Kirk. Good morning. There we go. I was passing the, uh, the entryway uh, this morning. As some ladies were coming in, I didn't get to see who they were. Uh, but they learned they didn't have to wear masks. And I heard one of them say, well, I'm glad I actually chose to put on lipstick this morning. So. <laughs> Chad, thank you so much for inviting me to share this morning. This is a real honor for me. Uh, Chad and Annalise and I go way back. As many of you know, I'm a professor down the street at Covenant Seminary, and Chad was a student there. Uh, And uh, not only was he my student, he became a friend. Uh, I got to see Chad after he left St. Louis. Uh, One weekend, went down to the church where he was serving. Uh, Walking into his office, as I remember it, was like walking into a St. Louis Cardinal's shrine. Some pastors come to the Kirk, if you can believe it, as Cubs fans and have to be converted to Cards Nations, Uh, but Chad, I think many are glad you were converted before you came. Our passage this morning is just one verse long. He confessed, he did not deny, and he confessed, I am not the Christ. Uh, The first time I heard this passage preached on was when I was graduating from seminary. The seminary that I went to had a banquet for seniors and it was customary at the banquet for one of the professors to rise and to give a short message. The professor who did so that night was Gordon Hugenberger, affectionately known as Hugie. And as Hugie got up to speak, there are two or three hundred graduates in front of him ready the next day to go into different types of Christian ministries as pastors, uh, missionaries, evangelists, and we're all wondering, you know, what verse is Hughie going to choose? What passage? There were so many passages that would have been appropriate for that evening, like do the work of an evangelist or give yourself to the public reading of scripture. Well, as he arose to speak, the passage that he chose was this one. Actually, just the second half of the verse, I am not the Christ. And several times that evening, he had us say that phrase together. And I'm going to invite us to do the same this morning. Would you say with me, I am, not the I am not the Christ? Great. Chad, would you stand up for a moment? This is just a practice round. A couple times today, I'm going to be asking you to do this and to repeat after me, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. Great. Thank you. You may be seated. Why is this the verse that Hugie chooses? Well, to understand what's going on, we have to put this verse in its context. The person who's saying these words is John the Baptist. I think the better translation is actually John the Presbyterian, but we'll stay with the traditional translation here, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, at this point in time, he lives at the same time as Jesus, early first century A.D., and he is a rock star. He is incredibly popular. You see, the Jews had been waiting for hundreds of years now for a long-awaited king. Uh, In their scriptures, it had been promised that this king was coming, a special king who was going to deliver his people. And for 400, 500 years, the Jewish people had been waiting for this king. In ancient Israel, when you became a king, what they did is they anointed you with oil. And so, let's say this half of the room was Hebrew speakers, Uh, your word in Hebrew for an anointed one would be Mashiach, from which we get our English word, Messiah. Right. And let's say this side of the room were Greek speakers. Well, in Greek, your word for anointed one would be Christos, from which we get our English word, Christ. Right. So whether you're saying Messiah or Christ, they're both nicknames for this long-awaited king. And the people were wondering, could John the Baptist be the guy? And they had good reason to wonder. When John was born, his birth was announced ahead of time. His parents had been trying to have kids for years, weren't able to do so. And so his dad's in the temple one day praying, and an angel of the Lord appears to him to announce the birth of John the Baptist. That's very unusual compared to how most of us have our birth announced. Uh, My coming birth was announced when my mom looked at my dad and said, Honey, the strip is pink. I mean, that's no angel. That's typically how it happens today. But John's got this angel from the Lord coming to announce his birth. And then as he begins to grow up, becomes a man, he goes out into the desert, he dresses like a prophet of old, and he begins to announce the kingdom of God is at hand. And so the masses were wondering, and is John the king of that kingdom? In fact, he had become so popular that in our passage, just the verse before, we read this. This is the witness of John when the Jews sent him priests and Levites from Jerusalem. And in this gospel, when you read about the Jews from Jerusalem, it means the top brass. Uh, If we were in a Catholic church, this would be like reading, and the Vatican sent a delegation to John saying, and they're asking him, who are you? And the question behind the question is, are you the Christ? And had John said, I'm the guy, I have no doubt that thousands would have believed him and would have followed him. But instead, we read that he confessed, and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. Once more together, I am not the Christ. Christ. Why is this the verse that Hugie chose? It's the verse that Hugie chose because he knew that one of the temptations for people going into public ministry was to begin to think either that they are the Christ or to begin to feel that they should be able to do everything that Jesus does. Let me explain. You get there in two different ways. Some people going into public ministry think that they are are the Christ either because their ego is just that big or because their ego becomes that big. As over years of ministry, they, they get used to being the guy, the one that people look to as the leader who has the answers. The one who people pour accolades on for the different ways that God has used them in their life. And slowly their heart and their head begins to grow as they believe their own best press. It's a tremendous danger for people going into public ministry. But there are others, others who, who feel, they don't think they are the Christ, but they feel in some ways as, as though they should be the Christ. Not, not from ego, but because they care deeply They care deeply about people, and about people's problems, and they want to help them. And when they can't help as many people as they want, or can't help perfectly, then what they begin to do is either beat themselves up for not being able to reach expectations that no one but Jesus can reach, or they begin to work themselves to death trying to do so. Chad, would you stand again? Those who know you well, brother, know that ego is not your issue. You model so well for us what it means to be a humble servant of God. You also model so well for us what it means to care deeply for people. And that means your temptation might be either to beat yourself up when you can't care as well or for as many people as you'd like, or to work yourself to death trying to do so. And I just want you to know today the freedom that comes in knowing that only Jesus is the Christ, and that you don't have to beat yourself up for not being able to care for everyone you can, and you don't have to work yourself to death. But you can rest in knowing only Jesus can do all of that, and I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. John the Baptist knew that he was not the Christ. There were two other things that John the Baptist knew. The the second thing he knew is that his job was to point people to the Christ. You see this a couple different ways in the opening chapters of this gospel. Later on in chapter 1, John is standing there. Two of his disciples are with him, and Jesus walks by. And in verse 36, we read that John looks at Jesus as he walks by, and he says to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God! And John's disciples stop following John and become disciples of Jesus. Now again, understand what's going on in context here. For these men to be disciples of John at that day and age meant that they were saying to John, John, we are going to hang on your every word. We're going to devote ourselves to your teaching. We're going to begin to form our lives after your life. Do you know how good it feels to have people looking up to you in that kind of way? I mean, I I personally have no idea, but they tell me this feels really good. You know, when people look at you like that. But John, he doesn't care. He actually doesn't want people looking at him that way. He wants people looking at Jesus that way. You see, because he knows, I'm not the Christ, it's not about me. My job is to point people to the Christ. So he doesn't care about his glory. He cares about the glory of Jesus. And I need to hear this. There are times at the seminary. So we have chapel once a week there. And during chapel, it's normally a professor who's preaching. Uh, And the students aren't required to come. It's voluntary, whether they come or or not. There are times when I will walk into chapel. And I'm not preaching that day. And my heart will whisper, Jay, Jay, are there more people here to listen to this person preach compared to when you preach? I mean, I am that wicked that I can turn preaching into an opportunity for my own glory. And when my heart whispers those things, I pray immediately, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, this is not about me. And over the years, the Lord, in fact, has taught me to pray, and Lord, Would you now use my colleague for your glory? Thank you for the gifts that you've given them. Thank you that they're about to proclaim and and teach people who Jesus is. Use them to bring glory to your son and to your name. Because if we're followers of Jesus, that's what it's about. It's not about us. Our job is to point people to Jesus. You see this again later in chapter 3. In chapter 3... John's disciples come to him and they are worried. Uh, They're worried because, verse 26, they say to him, Rabbi, teacher, uh, Jesus, the one who is with you beyond the Jordan River, the one that you've been talking about, behold, he's baptizing and all are going over to him. (laughs) John, this is terrible. Jesus is becoming more popular than you. That's what they're saying. If this were today, they'd be like, John, people are liking his Facebook page. Jesus' Facebook page more than yours. They're dropping you on Twitter, John. They're following Jesus now. This is terrible. And John probably didn't know whether to laugh or cry. I mean, they just missed it. So he says to them, verse 28, you yourselves... Have heard me say, I'm not the Christ, but I've sent before him. And then John uses the, the analogy of a wedding. He says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him, hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, I must decrease. In other words, he's saying, guys... I'm just the best man, I'm just the best man. Years ago, my seminary roommate Gregor asked me to be the best man at his wedding. Actually he he phoned and he said, Jay, my brother-in-law doesn't like to fly, would you be my best man? (laughs) So I said, sure, you jerk, and uh, got on the plane. The wedding was in California, the day of the wedding comes, I had my tuxedo on, I had those black patent shoes on, my hair was quaffed, I was on the verge of looking handsome. The ceremony starts, 350 people in the room. I am right up front, almost center stage, Gregor's center stage, I'm just three feet off center stage, and would you believe that as I looked out over the congregation, not a single person was looking at me. We get to the part in the wedding where the the minister needs the rings, right? I'm three feet from him, he knows I have the rings, he doesn't even speak to me. Gregor, do you have the rings? Gregor turns to me to get there. Afterwards, I think I made it with the photos like into one group shot. That was it. By the end of that day, do you know how jealous I was of my friend Greg? (coughs) Not the least little bit. Because it wasn't about me. I was just the best man. Chad, would you stand? I am so grateful for the ways I've already seen you pointing us to Jesus. I saw it last week when you led us in communion. and You explained what the bread were, was and the juice was. And then you said, please set these things aside so that you come with empty hands because this is Jesus' table. And we come to him with empty hands so that he might fill them. Keep pointing us to Jesus in that way, Chad. We are so thankful that that's your heart's desire to your dying day. Never, ever stop. You may be seated. There was a final thing that John the Baptist knew. He knew he wasn't the Christ. He knew his job was to point people to the Christ. He also knew the greatness of the Christ. You see this in chapter 1, uh, after the delegation has asked him, who, who are you? He says, I'm not the Christ. Later on, they, they ask him in verse five, 25, then why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? And John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It's he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. You see what John is saying here? He's talking about the lowliest duty of the day. And he's saying that for me to stoop down in the dust and to do that for the Christ, that is too high of an honor for me. And every time I read this passage, I'm challenged to think, Jay, do you think that highly of Jesus? Is he that great and glorious to you? You know, Hughie shared a story with us that night. He said that uh, when he was a teenager, he went to a Christian camp. He wasn't a Christian himself at that time, but somehow he ended up at this Christian camp. And one day, he got into a debate with the the camp counselor that stayed in his cabin, a, a man a few years older than him, and they they were debating, well, who is the Messiah? And was Jesus the Messiah? And somehow in the midst of the debate, Hughie just at one point flippantly says, well, what if I'm the Christ? And he told us that his camp counselor looked at him with an expression of profound sadness. And then a tear began to trickle down this camp counselor's face. And then he turned around and he walked out of the cabin unable to say a word. And Hughie said to himself, if that man thinks that highly of Jesus, I must know who this Jesus is. Do we know the greatness of the Christ? You know, sometimes even if we've been a Christian a long time, the greatness of Jesus' glory can begin to fade a bit. The brightness of his beauty gets a little bit less bright as other things begin to fill our lives and distract us. And if that's in any way happened, today is a great day to fall on our face before the Lord and to say, oh Lord, Would you please make the glory of Jesus great again in my heart and in my life? Would you make his beauty so bright that I'm willing to sacrifice anything for him? That I'll stay away from anything that might in any way bring dishonor to his name and that I'll bend my interests and my priorities and my desires to bring glory to him. Because when you see the greatness of who Jesus is, it's so clear it's so easy to say I am not the Christ. And my job is to bring glory to the Christ. Would you say it once more with me? I am not the Christ. There's one final implication that I'd like to mention today. Let me get at it this way. Would you say with me now? Chad is not the Christ. Yes. Ben is not the Christ. Mike is not the Christ. (laughs) I think you might see where I'm going with this. You know, a a day of installation or ordination is a day of both tremendous joy, but for those being ordained or installed, there's also this incredible weight that comes. Uh, I felt this a day of my ordination. It reminded me of the day of my wedding when there, you, there's just incredible joy, but this incredible weight. I'm promising to love this person the rest of my life. Some of you may have experienced this, holding, holding your newborn baby, this incredible joy and yet this incredible weight of responsibility. And those being ordained or being installed, they, they feel that, we feel that. We feel that sense of who is worthy for these things. In the book of Hebrews, it describes Christian leaders this way. It says, they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That is to say, an account to God. And it is such a weighty thing, especially because those of us who enter into this role do so as imperfect people. Who recognize that we need the grace of God just as much as those that we're shepherding. It's perhaps no surprise that this verse in Hebrews finishes by saying, And so, church, as they lead you, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. With joy and not with groaning. What does it mean for us to respond to our leaders here in such a way that we bring them joy and not groaning? May I suggest just two things? It seems it, it would mean at the least that our, our first posture towards our leaders should be one of encouragement more than critique. Critique is so easy. But those in this role who feel this weight, please encourage them. They need your encouragement. A second thing it, it probably means is that we pray regularly for them. Our leaders here are praying for us. Can we pray in return for them? In fact, let me close with this challenge. I want to challenge you to choose at least one leader here at the Kirk. It could be a pastor, an elder, a deacon, a staff member. And I want you to commit to pray for them for the next year at least once a week. Do you have somebody in mind, take a moment. Who might you pray for among the leadership here once a week? for the next year, them and their families. And once you've chosen that person, I also want to encourage you, send them a note this week, letting them know you're doing so. I would love one week from now to be speaking to Chad and to have him tell me, I got 30 notes this week of people who are telling me they're praying for me and Annalise and the kids once a week. Once more together, please. Chad is not the Christ. Ben is not the Christ. Mike is not the Christ, Christ. I am not the Christ, Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Christ. Praise God for that. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you are the long-awaited King and that you have come to deliver your people from their sins. Thank you for doing this. Please make your beauty so bright in our eyes. Make your glory so great in our lives that we would humbly, gladly, joyfully bow ourselves before you, crying out Hosanna and praise to the King of Kings. We give you glory now. Amen.